and welcome to another episode of Christ in Context, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ in all of Scripture and using all of Scripture to filter all of life. My name is Kevin, and I am your host. I am using a different microphone than normal. I'm at my parents' house. It's actually Saturday, yeah, it's Saturday, the 25th, and my one-year anniversary of being married to my wife is the 26th. So I'm recording in advance because we're trying to spend as much time together these next couple days. Um, I recorded earlier this morning, and it just didn't go how I wanted to, but we were coming up to visit our family. So I'm using my brother's uh, Yeti microphone, and we're just hoping that it sounds good, just as good as the microphone that I normally use. Um, I hope that this turns out well, I guess. So before we get into our topic for today, I've got a lot of announcements and I'm really excited for all of them. Uh, The first one is my favorite, the most important, I think, of all of these is that this podcast is now a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. So it's basically just a society of different podcasts that all have like-minded reformed theology. They vet people before adding them in. And, you know, so the admins say that everyone is doctrinally sound. I'm flattered that they would even consider me because I'm just a college kid talking about the Bible and they wanted to add me in. So I'm super, super pumped. There's fantastic episodes uh, from some of these other guys. There's um, the Reformed Brotherhood, which started the society. And then I just listened to one episode of Distilling Theology, which was a fantastic show. I'm going to go back and try to listen to a lot more of their stuff because I really enjoyed it. Um, Sipping on Theology. I've been listening to Austin stuff for a while and he's got really good stuff as well my really good friend luke who does the steady anchor podcast who got me into podcasting uh he's on there as well he probably threw my name out to some of the guys and here we are i'm super pumped to see where this goes and hopefully we'll be able to reach a lot of people and you know share the bible from a reformed perspective and yeah, we'll see where this goes. I'm super excited. The next thing is that I made some title changes. So you might have noticed that this episode has a different title than what's recently been coming out the past couple ones. Um, But if you go back and look, you should be able to see that I changed the titles of the other episodes dealing with passages that have been taken out of context. So rather than just posting, you know, uh, episode for John 3.16. I changed it to episode four, out of context, number one. And then I think it also says, whosoever believes. Um, And it's more to get the idea of what is going to be talked about rather than just posting a Bible verse. Because I've noticed that there's more people who might understand the concept of what that show will be talking about rather than just that specific chapter and verse or that specific passage. So just to be a little bit more audience friendly. Also, on top of that, I wanted to make this just an indefinite series of 
episodes. So for as long as we can go and talk about uh, passages that have been taken out of context, we're going to be doing out of context. Um, So I've got one more episode after this one that I have planned. And then I want to hear from you guys what you think needs to be dealt with. Um, I also just want to hear from you guys in general. If you've got questions, serious or not serious, you know, if you want to know um, what my favorite type of food is or um, my favorite coffee, I love coffee, by the way. So if you want to ask me about coffee, um, if you want to ask me about, uh, you know, pizza toppings, whether I think that pineapple should go on pizza, I'll talk about that. Um, or if you've got more serious stuff you know, textual, critical stuff, you know, dealing with, I'm not a professional, so I don't know if I'll be able to answer every question, but I want, it'll push me to do my research and try to give you guys an answer. Um, and I really want to be engaged with you guys. And so with that, I have made, um, an email for this podcast. It is Christ in context pod at gmail.com. So if you want to reach out to me, uh, uh, ask me questions. I'm going to try to answer at least one question at the beginning of each episode and just, you know, be engaged with the listeners. I really care about you guys. That's why I'm putting this information out. That's why I'm doing this podcast. It's not for me at all. I don't just want to sit and talk to a wall for fun. You know, I have felt convicted that there needs to be some exposition and I figured I've got some tools so I might as well just throw out what I have and hopefully it'll help build up the church in some way so yeah I want to hear from you uh there's also social media so if you don't want to email me if you don't have an email um at the end of this episode there will be an outro just listen to it and it'll explain where the social media is at Facebook Instagram Twitter And you can message me through one of those and ask questions. And yeah, so that's, that's that update. And lastly, um, last week I mentioned that there would be voting for the uh, next series that we'll be going through. And so I was honestly totally expecting that Revelation was going to win. Most people really want to hear Revelation and also the first round Revelation smoked everything but I put out Revelation and Zechariah because those were the top two and to my surprise Zechariah won and I'm actually kind of intimidated I remember last time I read Zechariah I was like super confused had no idea what was going on I know like the intro to the book was decent and I I could kind of track with that and then once it got into all the visions I was just at a loss I had no idea what was going on so I'm really excited to go in and actually study those and I you know I've wanted to do my own study so this will be fun to go through it and then I'm going to plan on Revelation being the next one we go through and then throughout both of those series I'll be sprinkling out out of context episodes as you guys reach out and, you know, out of context might be something that I post in the middle of the week. It might be something that just kind of gets thrown in instead of the series. We'll just play it out and 
see what's working the best, and that's where we're going to go. So today's topic is on judging. Many of you have probably heard at some point in your life the phrase, don't judge me or stop being judgmental, uh, something along the lines of that. I know I hear it regularly. I heard it regularly at school. I hear it regularly at work. Um, even this afternoon, I was with my in-laws and some other family friends, and they were just tossing around like, oh, you're being judgmental, or I remember I was being judgmental about this. And it just got me thinking, like, man, we throw that around a lot. Um, we, you know, we use that word like it's just something that isn't as serious. It's We equivalent it. <laughs> we equivocate it, make it equivalent to, <laughs> however that, man, I can't talk, uh, make it equivalent to the idea of shame. So what I mean by that is uh, we say this phrase, don't judge, or we use Matthew 7.1, don't judge so that you will not be judged, to ask people to not tell us that we're wrong or don't think differently of us because of how we live. And a lot of times non-Christians try to use it to say, accept me and my sin. Don't tell me that my sin is wrong. And so what's really happening is people are uncomfortable with the shame that they feel when they're sinning. And part of that just has to do with being made in the image of God. And when sin is called out, that image of God comes to bear. There's part of it that breaks through where we understand that we're not living in the way that we were created to, which is really cool that God has designed us that way. But it's really sad that at least the Western culture has tried everything that they could to uh, get away from feeling shame. So I'm going to read Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and We're going to go verse by verse like we normally do, and I'm really excited about this. I had, I kind of had an epiphany while I was studying verse one. This is just, it's my favorite study that I've done so far. And so I'm super excited to keep studying with you guys um, and keep just diving really deep into the word. So Matthew 7, 1 through 5 in the New American Standard Bible says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we've already explained how this is out of context. We use it as a means of hiding our shame. Don't judge me. Don't let me feel my shame. Uh, Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't push your morals onto me. Uh, However you want to say that. Uh, If you heard that cracking, that was my neck. I apologize. It just, I moved it and it started to crack. My bad. Um. So the textual context, super quick, is basically that it's towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's right at the end of the body 
of the sermon. So there's the intro, the body, and the conclusion. This is right before Jesus leads into the conclusion, where he concludes with, um, take the narrow path. Uh, he encourages the hearers, the, the audience, that living a moral life, living a godly life, is not easy, and you must take the narrow way. Um, so this point also is a clear shift in topics. The end of chapter six is this really encouraging passage about um, anxiety and uh the end, I think, is seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. I cited that from memory, so I, I hope I got that right. And then there's this clear shift. Don't judge so that you will not be judged. And this is where um, this whole concept is misapplied. And verse 2 already helps us understand uh, that this is not just an overall prohibition against judging because you can literally translate verse 2 as by which judgment you judge, you will be judged, and by which measure you measure, it will be measured to you. So it's assuming that there is a standard of judgment or a standard of measure that we use, but if you're going to use that, that is the measure that you're going to be measured against. Um, think about it like a ruler. If you use a ruler to measure, um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of piping because I work in the um, plumbing section at Lowe's. So if you use a ruler to measure one piece of piping, you want to be, what is being proposed is that you would be consistent and use that same ruler to measure any other type of wood or uh, any other concept. So to make it more abstract, um, if I'm going to say that something is morally wrong, I'm not going to start with the other person, but I'm going to first apply it to myself and acknowledge that that is morally wrong for me Mac first. Mac OS contains a built-in screen reader called VoiceOver. If you know how to use VoiceOver... Press Command F5 now to turn it on and set up your Mac. If you would like to learn how to use voice Hang on. to set up your Mac, press the escape key. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> I gave my dad um, my old MacBook Air and it just started talking. I don't know why, I don't know how, but I'm keeping that in there because that's priceless. That's hilarious. Um... Train of thought. Where was I at? Uh, yes. If I'm going to say that something is morally wrong, say um, committing adultery. So I'm going to apply that first to my life and say that I will not commit adultery. And committing adultery is morally wrong for myself. And in doing so, then I'm going to also say and be consistent by telling if I tell another person that committing adultery is morally wrong, if they ask me my opinion on, you know, what do you think about committing adultery? Well, I'm going to tell them that it's morally wrong in part because it is my own belief, but more importantly, because it's what God has said is wrong. So I'm going to backtrack a little bit and explain what's going on in verse one, because this is fascinating. This is this little epiphany that I had. 
So it says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. And what's really interesting is there's this word hina, which we translate as so that. Uh, we can also translate it as in order that or in order to. Um, so we might translate it as do not judge in order to you will not be judged, which just doesn't make sense. So we say so that. But what's really neat about this is I was reading reading it in Greek. I'm reading it in English and just kind of pondering like what what does this mean? Like don't judge so that you will not be judged. And it just kind of hit that the words are the same and we don't really have to change the words, but we have to change how we understand the words. So the so that is not a prohibition. It's not do not judge period with the result that you will not be judged. So if you stop judging, therefore you will not be judged. That's not what it's saying. It's saying do not judge so that the result is your own condemnation. So um, it's kind of tricky to explain because it's using the same words, but I hope I'm able to make this clear that I'm going to paraphrase in a, in a way that do not judge with the resulting um, end of you being judged. So if you judge in one way, then that will lead to you being judged. Uh, I hope that this makes sense. Because if it does, then it's super, super cool. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. It makes sense to me that what's what Jesus is saying, well, let me continue to explain and maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. Basically, it's do not judge with the result that you will not be judged. And then it ends with a semicolon instead of a period. And then after that, it has the explanatory gar, which we translate as for. So it's Jesus saying for or here's what I mean by that. So do not judge with the results or so that you will not be judged. Don't be judged in a way that you will get judged. Here's what I mean. And then he gets into verse two, uh, where it literally says, by which judgment you judge, you will be judged. And by which measure you measure, it will be measured to you. So it's a mouthful, but it's intentionally a mouthful so that you really get the point. And it's this really neat parallel of using the same word three times by which judgment you judge, you will be judged by which measure you measure, it will be measured to you. Super, super cool. And then um, as I was doing my research, and we already researched this a little bit in my Greek exegesis class um, last year, we translated the whole Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about these passive verbs and how they function within the sentence. And the word biblical commentary um, which sometimes gets some slack. People don't like it because it's got a lot of higher critics, but I personally think it's really useful in pointing out the small details that we normally don't notice. Um, it points out patterns and other related ancient texts. So the word biblical commentary, as much as it 
might not be useful in our application. It's really useful in presenting data. So the commentator of the book of Matthew mentioned that these passive verbs are divine passives, which I don't think is a formal um, Greek uh, term. I think it's just something that he made up. But it's basically passive verbs where God is the implied acting subject. Or in other words, God is the one who judges and measures. So if you judge and so by the standard of judgment that you judge, God will apply that to you. So what that means is we need to be really fearful and concerned about the judgment that we use towards other people. And I don't mean fearful in a way of like anxious, um, you know, be worried that God is going to smite us down, but I mean like be reverent and respectful and um, careful and cautious about what standards we're applying to others and what standards we're applying to ourselves. Robert Mounts in the New International uh, Biblical Commentary said that the Greek construction may, which is no or not, plus the present imperative carries with it the idea of ceasing what you are doing now. And he also later says that Jesus does not ask us to lay aside our critical faculties, but rather to resist the urge to speak harshly of others. So again, this isn't a entire prohibition of criticizing, being critical in your thinking, but it's rather using those critical faculties in a way that is harshly condemning other people and not producing a fruitful ministry of loving God and loving others. As I was studying for this, I also came across James chapter 2, 11 to 13, which I thought is just fitting. And I'm going to read it and hopefully you'll see why it's fitting. James says, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Or in other words, for judgment will be merciless to the one who is merciless. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I just thought this was really neat because it's the impartiality of the law. If you are condemned in one area, you are totally condemned, which points us, it's the whole purpose of the law that we look towards Christ. It, The law in itself isn't imperfect by any means, but it was sent in a perfect way so that we would look at the perfect Savior. So let's keep looking to verses three through five. Sorry, I hope that wasn't too random of an input. Um, I just thought it was important that, you know, if you speak and act as one who is to be judged by the law of liberty, rather than, I think the contrast that James is making, uh, rather than the law of condemnation. So the law of freedom, rather than the law of being constrained to um, obeying the, the whole total law. So if we're judged by the law of liberty, it's the law of freedom in Christ. Um, just some side notes. Uh, go back and read the whole passage. Maybe it makes sense with what I'm talking about. Maybe it doesn't. But 
Let's continue talking about the passage at hand, verses 3 through 5 of Matthew chapter 7. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So there's an intentional exaggeration of a log and a speck. Um, Robert Mounts notes that if this is taken in a unqualified sense, this would put a complete stop to helping others with their moral difficulties. And I want to stop there in that quote because that's how, at least the people, some of the people that I know, that's how they want to use this. They want to look at this one verse, specifically just verse one, and say, hey, stop talking about moral difficulties. Stop talking about moral failures. Because if you do, then that means that I will be condemned. They don't say that straight up, but that's what they mean. So Mounts continues and says, undoubtedly, it is intended to restrict hypocritical correction of others rather than to prohibit all helpful correction. And I want to pause and just take a little look at the word hypocrite. Uh, I don't think it's going to be life-changing in our understanding of the word hypocrite, but I wanted to point out the nuance because it only slightly changes, but in an important way, it changes uh, how we understand the speck in the log and what Jesus means when he calls his audience. He says, you hypocrite. So we usually understand the word hypocrite as, you know, a person who has double standards or um, someone who says something and does the opposite of that thing. Um, basically inconsistency. And that's true. I would say that that's accurate to, like that's an accurate understanding of hypoc- being a hypocrite or hypocrisy. Um, and I think that's kind of the conclusion of this older definition of hypocrite, where it had the tendency of meaning an actor or a person who pretends to be something that they are not. And so if you're pretending to be a person that you're not, or you're wearing a mask, then the following result of that is that you would have a double standard because you're being something that you're not, and therefore that other person has to treat you in a different way. And you get to treat them differently. You get to put a higher standard or um, a different standard to them. So... I wanted to point that out because in trying to remove a speck while maintaining a log, a person is trying to be something that they're not, namely a righteous judge. They are pretenders. Uh, They're holding double standards. You know, you can't, the exaggeration is obviously that you can't see anything if you've got a log in your eye. You definitely can't see clear enough to look, you know, imagine you've got a five foot log in your eye. Like you'd have to be a minimum of five feet away from a person before you could even start to look at their eye. And it's already going to be hard enough to find a little speck in their eye. So it's this intentional exaggeration in order to draw the attention of the double standard of the Pharisees and religious leaders. But let's also not forget verse 5, where Jesus specifically says, 
first take out the log from your eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he's not prohibiting judgment. He's not prohibiting moral standards by any means. But Jesus is saying, in in one way, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, check yourself before you apply a standard of measure. So it's, in a sense, leveling out the playing field. So rather than trying to stand on the moral high ground and tell other people, hey, you got to come up to me, it's leveling it out and saying, hey, we're all on the same playing field, but I'm not. if we're all on the same level playing field, that doesn't mean you stop playing the game. Imagine playing a game of soccer, but there's a huge hill in the middle, and you're standing on the hill, and you know, you're saying like, oh, I got it, and you're trying to win the game from up there. Or there's a group of you on this hill and you're able to just kind of kick the ball from down the hill and it goes right into the goal. It's not really fair, but if you level it, it's still, it's a fair playing field, but that doesn't mean that you stop playing the game, so to speak. Uh, That was just kind of off the top of my head. So I hope that made sense. But uh, the idea is leveling it out. We're all in the same game of, at least within the church, I'm not even going to get into non-relievers, but within the church, we're all seeking the glory of God and seeking a purging of impurity and growing in holiness for the glory of God. So then the the question kind of becomes like, should we judge others? And I want to say yes, but I really want to be careful in how I say that because the answer is yes, but we need to be cautious. We need to be consistent. Uh, we need to be first and foremost, a loving of every person that we judge. And I don't mean this as in, hey, go out, get after them, go judge everyone you can, but we should take this seriously. Um, Our moral judgments are not something to just be tossed out at everyone. And I think that's why Jesus in the next verse says, don't throw, uh, how how does he put it? I didn't have this um, on my notes, but I'm looking it up right now. Matthew 7, 6. Jesus says, don't give what is holy to dogs and don't throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I think that's in part what Jesus means that having a good and righteous judgment is not something to just be tossed around like it's nothing. Um, it's a weighty thing and that doesn't mean stop it because if a non-believer asks you what your opinion is, you better be consistent in saying, Hey, I believe this about myself. Or if you, if say, for example, someone asks you, what do you believe about homosexuality? I know I myself would say, I believe it's wrong and not because I said it's wrong, but because God said so he has revealed it clearly in scripture and I'm not only applying that to just people who I don't like or to people who are homosexuals, but I apply it to my own life. I apply it to my wife. I apply it to my close friends. It's a consistent thing. Um, And first and foremost, we also should be dealing with our judgments within the church before we go out um, and share, I guess, with other people. 
But the most important thing that we are sharing is the gospel. And so it's important that we do understand God's standards of right and wrong, but we don't need to be sharing the whole law. We need to be sharing the whole gospel. So I want to share a couple other related passages that I found in doing this study. So John 7.24, where Jesus is being condemned by some of the religious leaders for healing on the Sabbath. Jesus says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So he's telling the leaders, hey, stop judging just because this is what happened, but use righteous judgment and acknowledge that this is a good and holy thing because healing is taking place. Proverbs 27.5, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Proverbs 31.9, open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. Matthew 18 is filled with church discipline. Um, It's a really solid foundation of church discipline, and it starts with calling out sin of a brother in the church. And it's a private rebuke before it escalates into anything. And so in order, it that statement of a private rebuke presupposes that we would have a good and clear conscience of understanding what God has said is right and what God has said is wrong. So this is by no means a disregard of loving God and loving others. This should actually be a push to love God and love others in a better way. And uh, it should force us to reflect and um, check our own life to make sure that we are being consistent with um, how, you know, the judgments that we make towards other people. If we say that something is wrong for another person, do we believe that it's wrong for ourselves? And I don't, I don't mean that in the super broad scope because Um, there are some things that are different per circumstance. So, um, you know, I might say that it's wrong to have sex before marriage, but I by no means would say that to a married person. I think that's a beautiful and wonderful gift that God has given to married couples. Um, But there's limitations with that as well. You know, it's limited just to the bounds of marriage between a man and a woman. Um, So what I don't mean is if you say one thing is wrong to another person, that doesn't mean that it has to be wrong for you, but the same standard has to be applied. So if you say X is wrong within these bounds, but you aren't even related to that category, then you know, it's not inherently wrong for you, if that makes sense. So that's what I was talking about with sex, you know. Um, It's wrong for those outside of marriage to be having sex. But if you are in a marriage relationship, a covenant between you and your spouse and a covenant between you two and God, then it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. God has ordained it. Uh, This should also be, sorry for the side tangent, Um, this should be um, a push for us to continue in our desire for growing in the fruit of the Spirit. 
if we are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then making judgments of right and wrong shouldn't be that hard. Um, it might it might grow tougher. It might grow easier. Um, but if we, what I mean is that if we truly love people and we have joy and peace and patience and all the rest, then it'll be a joy and an opportunity and uh, a great desire to share of God's heart that he's revealed in scripture. What God truly loves and has said is right and pleases him. And we should get super, you know, passionate about warning people about what God has said is wrong because we have love for other people. So lastly, I think that this also does not warrant a critical spirit, um, a harsh spirit by any means. This is why I bring up the fruit of the spirit, gentleness, self-control, patience. Those are things that are so important. And I know within the reformed community, we kind of get hit and, uh, we get told that we're too judgmental. We're too harsh on people. It breaks my heart that that's the label that we often get, but we need to work towards balancing being really, really loving and caring about other people and also holding in, uh, the same hand, the, um, out of our love, we are sharing what is right and wrong. Um, so I hope that that makes sense. Uh, this isn't a call to puff up your pride by any means. Um, so let's, yeah, let's use this as an opportunity to be free in our judgment, like not feel like we have to be, um, hidden in what we believe is right and wrong because it's not our own understanding. We didn't make this up. This is something that God has said, um, within any circumstance. Um, so there, there should be no need for fear or uh, worry in telling another person that this is what we believe. But we also don't have to go out of our way to tell every single person every single thing that we believe is right and wrong. So, yeah, let's let this be a reminder not to be impartial and uh, to care and love our church very well and also to care and love for our community very well uh, that we could take this as an opportunity to try to transform our communities of using biblical principles to share right and wrong so i hope this is encouraging for you um i know there's a lot that i just got thrown that was just tossed out there um that's kind of what I got for right now. And yeah, I hope that you continue to listen and love God and love others. And, uh, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend. 
and continue to get in the word and continue to um, know God through his word. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christ in Context. If you enjoyed the episode, give us a rating and a review through Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming app you use to listen, and subscribe to be notified when new content is posted. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Christ in Context Pod and Twitter at CNC Podcast. For other edifying material, check out the Doctrinal Discipleship Facebook group or the webpage at doctrinaldiscipleship.com.